Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bounce Mouth Podcast with me, Tim Sylvie. Now, making it big in motorsport in any role is hard, but outside of driving the real car, one of the most competitive spaces is definitely broadcasting and specifically commentary, a hugely niche area. You need a very specific set of skills, incredibly thick skin and the ability to roll with the inevitable punches. Our guest today has finally hit the big time. He's landed himself the lead commentary role in the ABB FIA Formula E World Championship, one of the most coveted jobs in motorsport. We're here to learn about that journey and hopefully inspire someone out there listening to never give up on their own dreams. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you've got any questions, feel free to get in touch through our socials or send us a voice note to TS at motormouth-media.com and we'll respond to you in a future episode. For now... Let's go and meet the new voice of Formula E, Tom Brooks. Tom Brooks, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, very well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, keeping all good. Enjoying the miserable weather that we have at this time of oh. year in Britain, unfortunately. But otherwise, I'm absolutely fine. It's horrible, isn't it? I'm already sick of the rain and we've got so many more months of it to come. It's really, really depressing. But we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on you, Tom. Um we always like to go back a little bit and look at what's shaped our guests and you know what's made them the individual they are today. Um, who is Tom Brooks? What what has shaped you as an individual in your character? Oh, that's a good question, actually. I've never really thought about it kind of like that before. Um, who is Tom Brooks? That's a bold question, isn't it? Um, do you know I I consider myself incredibly lucky to be able to do what I do as you know as a motorsports commentator and. I've been very fortunate to work in this industry for, oh crikey now, how am I, 26. I've been working as a commentator since I was about 18 and was in radio before that at the age of 13. So, you know, it's been something that's kind of encapsulated my whole life, really. You know, I've done it for as long as I can remember. And it's just been the most amazing pleasure, basically. I absolutely adore what I'm able to to do. And every day is a new challenge. Yeah, it's it's lovely to be able to think of work not really as work as just your passion which is 
is a very lucky place to find yourself in. Is, is there been an inspiration in your career? Is there anyone you particularly looked up to, whether that be a family member or perhaps, you know, a commentator of, of yesteryear? Who, who's really inspired you on your journey? Again, really good question. Do you know, there are a few people that have inspired me. My parents, but not for the reasons you might think. They never inspired me because I thought I want to be like my parents. My parents hated their jobs. So they would come home. You know, my mum was a teacher. My dad was a mechanic. They come home and moan about, oh, you know, I'm aching and this and that and I'm tired. And I looked at that as a kid and always thought, I don't want to end up like that. I don't want to resent what I do for a living because as far as I'm concerned, you get one shot at life. You know, there's no rerun, there's no second chances and you might as well try and do something you enjoy, right? So that was kind of my main inspiration, if you like, when I was a kid, I was thinking, I want to go and do something I enjoy. Whatever that was, I've, I've no idea. You know, dad being a mechanic, I thought, oh, maybe I could try my hand at that. And then after cross-threading quite a few spark plugs and, you know, nearly welding my hands to bits of cars and stuff like that. I thought maybe not the sort of avenue that I want to go down really. But um, yeah, that was that. And, you know, in terms of a commentator that's inspired me or, you know, somebody like that, to be honest, not really. I always watched Formula One. I grew up with the James Allen era of ITV on F1, Mm -hmm. which I still regard as a real golden era for for broadcasting. I think because terrestrial television at the time was obviously the, the main focus, the way that we consume media now and the way in which those attitudes have changed, it's completely changed the landscape of it. So, you know, I always remember listening to Alan and, and Brundle and thinking I'd, I'd love to be able to, to do that one day. I never thought I'd actually get the opportunity to. I mean, crikey, it's funny how life goes goes around, isn't it, really? But uh, it's worked out so far, touch wood, it's worked out quite nicely. It's worked out really nicely. And we'll come on to your, your very exciting um, 2024 shortly. But just getting under the the skin of you a little bit. What what is it that drives you? What what gets you out of bed of a morning? Um, the will to do well. To be honest with you, I've always said if I want to do a job, I want to be able to do it well. I absolutely adore what I'm able to do. As I said, you know, being a motorsports commentator, and it's been something that has been ingrained in me and as a passion for as long as I can ever remember. My dad was a racing driver. He quit before I was born because he had kids on the way and so on. But I grew up watching VHS, you know, videos of him doing rallycross and that sort of thing and thought I'd love to be able to go racing. So when we were, you know, 11 years old, we bought a go-kart and looked at going racing and then looked at the cost of just the entry fees alone and thought, oh, hang on a minute, we're probably not going to be able to afford this. And so, you know, I, I then thought, well, if I can't do it, I might as well try and talk about it, you know, and used to commentate at home, as I think a lot of commentators did, you know, on racing and stuff like that. And I was always the annoying kid that would sit there and ask my dad a million and one different questions about racing. And, you know, eventually he'd say, go and watch it in the other room because you just, you know, you've been sat there for 45 minutes and he's there probably trying to have a nap, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> and I'm there interrupting him. But I've always had it instilled in me. As I said, my dad was a mechanic and, you know, he's always taken pride in his work. So I always saw that as a, as a, as a kid and thought I want to be able to replicate that in whatever avenue that I take my life in. So it's a will to do well. It's a will to be successful. You know, I've never wanted to be famous or anything like that. I've just wanted to be good at my job. So does the the love of motorsport stem from your your father's racing and, and his passion for the sport in, in well, I guess, when you were younger and picking up on that? For the most part, yeah. I mean, my dad, like I said, was a huge influence. We grew up around cars and bikes and stuff. My parents split when I was quite young. So I used to spend weekends at my dad's and that was always great fun for me because I'd go to dad and he'd be working on a car or that sort of thing. And as I got older, I started to help him out, mainly sort of lifting gearboxes in and out and doing all the stuff that he didn't want to do because his, you know, his back was hurting or whatever. Um, but yeah, I kind of grew up around that and have always had a passion for it for as long as I can remember. And my grandfather on my mum's side, actually, as well, he was always a huge Formula One fan and 
he had this book, I've got it somewhere in the house, um, 50 Years of Formula One, which you know, shows how old it is now. And I remember he used to look through that and look at, you know, Tony Brooks and Fangio and Ascari and those sorts of names and just be encapsulated by it. I was absolutely riveted by Formula One. You know, when I was six or seven, eight years old, I used to go into school and do presentations about Formula One in front of the class. So I guess you could always say it was ingrained in me at a young age that I was going to do something, I guess, in the public eye. But um, yeah, it's, it's funny how it all works out, really. Now... It's all got very exciting for you the last few weeks. I don't know how long you've known that this news was coming, but um, it, it came out not too long ago from for us and the fans uh, of Formula E. So tell us all about it. What What is your exciting new role? Well, for 2024, I'm going to be the Formula E television commentator, which is amazing. You know, something that I didn't expect to happen and was very, very sort of, last minute all kind of thrown together you know they were looking for a a commentator for Rome and they thrust me into it and I thought well you know I'll go there I'll do as good a job as I can um and see how it goes and and fortunately it went quite well and had some discussions kind of after London because they'd asked I wasn't actually penciled in for London I did Rome and then they said would you would you go and do London as well and I was actually supposed to be racing that weekend my dad and I we built a race car this year and that was kind of going to be the big debut of it so I was like oh I'm not really sure and I want to go racing and then you know, sat down with some family and um, some friends and they said, you know, you've got to go and do that. So went and did it and um, had some conversations after London. They said, well, look, if, you, if you're interested in 2024, we'd love to have a conversation. And, and that's kind of how it all came about. So yeah, real sort of whirlwind of, of opportunities, really. And I'm just really, really looking forward to getting going. Was it a phone call when you got the, like, when they said, we, we want you for the whole season? Was it a phone call or an email? How did, how did that happen? Because I'm always intrigued by stuff like this because it's quite a life-changing event, isn't it? Like when you break it, when you boil it down, mm. there are moments in life where you go, holy shit, like that's just happened. That's amazing. And, you know, and I'm interested by the way people react to certain news. How was the message delivered and what was your instant feeling? Do you know, there wasn't anything sort of formal like that. I mean, I say I had some conversations after London and they said, well, look, we want you for next year if you're interested. And I was like, yeah, you know, that'd be, that'd be amazing. I'd absolutely love to, to, to have that opportunity thinking, oh, you know, there's so many things you've got to jump through. You know how it is. You've got to jump through different hoops and, and sort out financial arrangements, calendars, you know, work out that sort of thing. Cause I've got other commitments aside from Formula E that I have to consider as well. And, um, I just, sort of I haven't you know it was funny how it all came about because I had a whatsapp message from the the head of tv and he just said we're putting out a press release tomorrow this line's in it um about you being part of the broadcast team is that okay with you and I was like yeah no that's absolutely fine because it wasn't a formal announcement it didn't actually say in the announcement that I was going to be the commentator but naturally of course you know news outlets see that and see that my name's a part of it and there's a bit of speculation as to what was going to happen and suddenly it's out there and I'm like oh crikey okay right and he's put something out on social media so there was never sort of a, a big kind of yeah you know this is amazing because I sort of was waiting for that to sort of happen really if you like yeah. and um yeah it just kind of worked out like that what's the coolest thing about your job I think just being able to live my passion I think is the main thing you know this job doesn't ever feel like a job I go to work I commentate on racing which is something that I never in a million years thought I would be able to do. And it's just such a joy because I enjoy watching racing. You know, I go racing myself. I live and breathe it essentially. And to be able to live that passion is incredible. Traveling around the world is amazing, but it's, it's funny because people say, oh, it must be great because next year you're going to go to you know, places like Japan and India and Brazil and that sort yeah. of thing. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's amazing. But also I get to commentate on this amazing racing as well, which is, you know, going to be the the sort of main focus. And, and also when you travel as well, as I'm sure you probably know, it ends up being hotel circuit, hotel circuit quite a lot of the time. Yeah. And 
you generally don't get that much time to to sort of enjoy it but i think that's kind of the main thing is just being able to live my passion and it 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 still doesn't feel like a real job i've always sort of joked for years i'm going to get a real job one day and you know i always wonder what i would do if i wasn't a motorsports commentator because i genuinely don't know because it's been my entire life doing something like this really so um yeah the coolest part is just being able to wake up every day and realize that i'm incredibly fortunate and lucky to do what i do and in commentary you often have um two people on the mic you have your, your sort of color, your color commentator, I suppose, the guy sort of, you know, adding the gloss to it and making it all exciting. And then you might have your, your sort of Alex Brundle type character, I suppose, who's who's there to give the, the technical analysis and all that sort of stuff. Are you a guy that enjoys that kind of dynamic or, or, or are you more of a, a lone wolf? Do you like those, those events where you just have to carry the mic on your own? Um, I enjoy working with people. I think that that is the most important thing with commentary. It doesn't matter what you know about the sport that you're commentating on, about the drivers, about the cars, about whatever, it is the rapport that you have with the person alongside you. That is the most important thing. I've been fortunate enough to work with quite a few different people from different backgrounds. And and sometimes you're thrust into a commentary box without knowing them or having had a conversation with them before. And suddenly you're there commentating alongside them for an hour, a couple of hours or whatever it might be. So you, you get to know them. But if you are able to build that relationship up and have that rapport with somebody, that is incredible because that i think reflects in the product that you create on air if you have that good relationship that working relationship but also a friendly relationship with them um i think that that's great and i love being able to to do that and get the best out of each other i think that that's a really important thing because commentary can be a very ego driven job because everyone wants to be as good as they can be and every commentator's got an ego it's just kind of how the job is you have to have confidence in what you do but I like to be able to get the best out of the people that I'm working with. So I'm very much a, I want to work with you and, you know, work out the best way to kind of throw to you and what to say and here and there and that sort of thing. So I think that that's kind of where I come at it from. I love working with people and I love the different dynamics that you have because every commentator that you work with is different. Yeah. Everyone has their own style and their own lines. Do you, what's your line? Have you, have you come up with a new line or are you going to go with something that you've already got for when the lights go out? I haven't got one. Do you know, I've always wondered this because that seems to be a thing, doesn't it? I, again, yeah. I remember watching ITV and there was, ne- there was never a sort of start line. It would be, you know, it's go or they're off or whatever. I've never had that. And I'm kind of wondering what I'm going to do. I think you need with, one. With I that. Do. I think, so, like, Cro- I think we should put it out to a public vote. I like. I think you should. Because what Crofty's got uh, lights out and away we go, isn't it? Is that him? Yeah. Um, Harry's got its... Um, foot to the floor. Uh, eyes on the lights and foot to the floor. Foot, yeah, yeah. I feel like you need something. But it's hard. I mean, there's only so many things you can say about well, that's the, the problem the I've, been, I, I've been sat there racking my brains watching race starts because it's always good to see what happens and thinking oh what am i going to say here because i've never had a line that you know i can kind of attribute as a trademark but eventually there are going to be like you say things and phrases that you sort of run out of so i reckon we should put it down to a public vote and whichever one is the most sensible but not the most daft will uh, will win i can't i can't say you know, some, something ridiculous yeah. when the lights go out just because it won a vote, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, you, you can't say like, I don't know, um, starty McStartface, off we go. It's just not, it's, <laughs> it's just not, it's not. But that's the sort of thing you get from the British public. If you ask that question, you'll, you'll get like bums are out and away we go. But I agree. I think, I think public vote is the way to go, but you have to promise to use it and then that's it. Yeah. I'm down for any suggestions. There so let's see what we can get. I, I like, we're going to clip this one up and put it on social. Um, <laughs> have you had, ever had a moment um, in your career where you've just gone 
blank. You just thought, and I've had it in meetings in the past where you feel it coming and you're like, oh no, I, I, I don't know where this is going. I don't know. I've lost my train of thought. The thread's gone mm-hmm. and it, and nothing, just blankness. I have, and it does happen because your brain sometimes just does completely go to chocolate, basically. You're just thinking, what on earth are you talking about? And sometimes you'll start off on a train of thought and forget where you're going with that train of thought halfway through it. And you'll think, hang on a minute, what was I talking about? And then obviously you're kind of like, well, hang on a minute, I've committed here. I've got to, I've got to say what I'm going to say here. You know, I don't know where this is going and what thought process is going to come out, but if it makes some kind of sense then you know you, you can kind of make it work but it, it's funny because i've had a few races before where you do you know pre-recorded stuff and you've you've had a bit of a i don't know how to put it politely you've had a heavy night the night before <laughs> shall we say and you think to yourself oh god i'm i'm really worried that i'm not going to be at my sort of best level and i've gone and done the racing and i've been more alert than i've ever been and not saying that that is the best way to go and commentate by the way i'd highly recommend if anyone's listening and thinking they want to be a, a, yeah. a commentator you know go and uh, and do the job properly but um, yeah, sometimes your mind does just go blank. And it's funny as well, because when you do it live, obviously you don't have a chance to redo it. Once you've said it, it's said. You can't go back and, and redo that. If you fumble your lines, if you forget your train of thought and you whatever happens, it's done, right? But if you pre-record it, it's always in the back of your mind. I've been doing some commentary on some uh, British Rallycross stuff today. And it's always in the back of my mind that if I fumble over a line, I can just go ahead and redo it. And then yeah. before you know it, you've spent half an hour on a five-minute race and you think, well, hang on a minute. Like, you know, what kind of investment am I getting out of this? But um, yeah, it, it's a funny old one because you do sometimes forget your train of thought. And obviously you've got so many things going on in the live broadcast as well. It's not just looking at the pictures. And it's very easy when you're sat at home in front of your big 50, 60-inch television to think, oh, this is, why is this person missing this? Why have they got that? But you know, in Formula E, I had four or five people talking to me. You've got your co-coms going off. You're looking at your notes. You've got the timing screens that you're trying to refer to. You've got a screen that's, let's say, 21 inches big. So it's significantly smaller. And there's so many different moving parts that it's actually quite difficult to kind of keep a, a hold of exactly what's happening, really. Yeah, and that's where I, you earn your money. Totally, totally imagine that. And, and this is why it grates for me sometimes that... Um, particularly on Twitter or X or whatever people call it, that when someone like Crofty makes an error in the F1 commentary, which is bound to happen every now and again, you can't get it right all the time. He gets absolutely chastised. Like it's, it's like he's killed someone. You know, you, you you call a driver wrong and and that's it. You know, it's, it's, it's curtains as far as Twitter goes. And it's funny, um, isn't it, how that attitude has changed though, because you look back to Murray Walker, he was infamous for his mistakes yeah. and everyone, you know, revered him for it. And you look at, Crofty and he gets slated for the same thing. I think it's interesting how the attitudes towards that have changed. Also, the fact that everyone's entitled to an opinion, obviously, but it's so accessible to share that opinion now. And I think that that is probably the biggest detriment of this job is that everyone can share your opinion at a moment's notice and perhaps don't realize the impact that that has. You know, back in the day, you're seldom are you going to write a letter to ITV or to Ofcom or to whoever saying, well, this person made this mistake on lap 27 of this race or whatever. Whereas it's very easy to pop your phone out, write a tweet saying, oh, what a knob. How did you manage to get Leclerc and science wrong? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and it's a Twitter thing, isn't it? I mean, it's that platform is tailor made for abuse and, and, you know, those kind of things are unfortunately way too easy to come a cropper on. Um, now, 
I want to focus on some home truths because we, we get a lot of people that listen to this podcast who are young and are, and are often trying to get into the sport. Um, we did a show um, recently with um, uh, Lindsay Orridge, who's been in the, in, in the F1 paddock for 22 years. And we talked all about the different roles available in Formula One and how you get into it. How do you get into that elusive paddock? Um, and there's a lot of people that obviously with the, with the boom of content creators and influencers and, and social media channels, there's people making their way into the sport in all sorts of ways. But is it difficult to get into this kind of thing? Like, it, Presumably, there's a lot of competition for these kind of roles and they're not that many around. Like there's Formula One, there's Formula E, a bit of IndyCar, whatever, but there's not a huge amount. Is it a challenging part of the industry to get into? It's very challenging because I always say to people, commentary is a niche job in itself. And then you've got sports commentary, which is even nicher. And then you've got motorsports commentary. It's an incredibly niche industry. And I started doing this when I was about 16, 17. So for a bit of background, I started in radio when I was 13 because I was quite lucky that my voice dropped at a young age and there was a radio station at my school. When I was about 16 or so, I was thinking, what do I want to do for a living? And I thought, well, I'll try motorsports commentary because I've always watched motor racing, always grew up around it, always had a passion for it. And I use my voice every day. So I just found an old F1 video on YouTube, downloaded it and stuck some commentary over it and just stuck it on my personal Facebook. And some friends said it was really good. So I did another and another and another. But I thought to myself, if I've got to take this seriously, I don't actually have any avenues into this industry. It's not like I had family that had been working in motorsport for years. It's not like I had... Um, you know, friends at that time that I could rely on and phone up and say, hey, how's about this for advice? So I basically set myself the goal of meeting as many people because I realized that like every industry, it's who you know, isn't it? Yeah. You know, my dad is a mechanic and it's he gets work because of the people that he knows. And I figured the same sort of principle. So I phoned up David Addison, who is the British touring car commentator and does GT World Challenge, etc., and asked for some advice. And he said, you know, go and meet people, network and do that sort of thing. So I booked myself to go to the Autosport show in 2015. And I went there and I made some DVD showreels, put them in the CD case, made a front cover and, you know, inside put all the lists of the races that were on and what sort of timestamps they were, put some contact details on and that sort of thing. And I just handed them out to different commentators. So David Edison, so David Croft, so, um, you know, Alan Hyde, that sort of thing, and just handed them out and said, look, if you've got any feedback at all, I'd really, really appreciate it. And the only guy that got back to me, actually, because everyone's busy, I get it, was David Croft. And he came back and said, look, I thought you did a good job, but, you know, work on this, work on this, work on this. I listened back to it the other day, and it was just awful how, you know, how terrible the commentary was. But, <laughs> you, you know, it was eight years ago, so yeah. it's one of those things. Um, but, yeah, I, it is a hard and competitive industry. And the, obviously, the further up the ladder you get, the fewer sort of opportunities there are and the more people there are that want to go for those jobs and it's a funny old thing because in this industry you become connected with other commentators like people like harry like chris mccarthy um you know and alex jakes and so on and so forth but you can be as friendly as you like eventually one day you're probably going to be going for the same job at some point and that's a real difficult sort of way to navigate i always try my best to be nice to people that's always been my motto is if if you can be nice, be nice, you know, and and try and have those connections and those friendships. Because at the end of the day, I think that that is what sort of pays dividends in in the long run. It is you know being that sort of nice person. And I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I've had people that have covered for me before when I've done some British Superbike stuff and I've sent them over my commentary notes and I've you know, said, look, if there's anything you need, just give me a call and that sort of thing. Because I, I, I'm not into gatekeeping i'm not into being an arsehole for the sake of being an arsehole you know i want to see people grow because eventually someone's going to take your job it's just the way that this industry works you know it's very much like being a racing driver you're only ever as good as your last gig and you're fighting for your job year to year i think it's the right way to go about things and, and it's nice to hear that story about crofty um and it's, it's funny i've had a nice experience with him as well where um I, I can't remember how I got in touch. Oh, it was after we did a podcast with him and, um, and we were running a competition or a giveaway or an auction. I can't remember. And he said, oh, I'll give you something for the auction. And he drove to my house and hmm. dropped something off. Like, didn't tell anyone he was going to do it. He just appeared at my front door. He's like, here you no go, way. sign cap. And I thought, <laughs> what a bloody nice thing to do. Didn't have to do that. And he's hmm. driven quite a long way out, out of his way. And he's just done a nice thing. It's, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of time for Crofty and the, the sort of, the, the few um, instances where I've dealt with him. And actually you talked about Harry and, and, you know, people going for same jobs and you know, all that sort of stuff. I just, uh, I told, I was talking to Harry before, before we came on here. I said, uh, he said, give me a call when you're free. We talk about something else. I said, I will admit, I'm just on the man who grabbed the, the Formula E uh, commentary role. <laughs> and he, put, he just put in capital letters, tell him to fuck off. <laughs> and, uh, but then, then he's, but no, only joking. Well earned. Um, and uh, so he's, he's obviously very happy for you. And, and you know, it, there are some, there are some nice people floating around the commentary world at the moment, but, but there are challenges involved with the job. Mm-hmm. There, there are, there are sacrifices and strains. Presumably, Travel is one of them. And you say, you know, you, you go to the airport, you go to a hotel room, you go to a commerce box, you go back to the, the, the hotel, you have a bit of dinner, but you don't see an awful lot. Um, it probably isn't the glitz and glamour that everyone imagines that it is. What challenges have you faced or sacrifices that you've come across? And for, I guess from a, um, uh, a mental perspective, as much as anything else, I suppose it, it, it's got to be a strain on you when you're traveling so much in such a competitive environment. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I haven't done the whole traveling show since 2019, really pre-pandemic, because after that, obviously, the attitude sort of changed. And I've been working for Gran Turismo as the voice of the video game for five years now. We did everything remotely for a couple of years. Then we've started picking up the events, but that's been sort of slow progress. British Superbikes is traveling, but it's kind of different because you're back home on a Sunday night or you know, worst case, a Monday morning, whereas obviously if you're in Hyderabad or if you're in Mexico or Brazil or whatever it might happen to be, you're halfway around the world. It's not something that you can just sort of pop back home on a on a Sunday. So there definitely are sacrifices that you have to make. I mean, it comes with the territory of the job. And, you know, I was concerned about it. I was chatting to friends before I took the job and I said, you know, what about the, the traveling aspect of it? And they said, well, you're 26, you can go and do it and you don't have to worry about it. You know, I haven't got a wife or kids or anything like that, which, you know, had I worked in a different industry entirely, who knows where that might sit? Maybe I would have a wife and kids now, you know, the 
the industry and the job that I do is a very self-motivated job. I don't want to say selfish because I don't think it is selfish, but I think I'm very self-motivated and I want to be able to do well. And obviously with that, you have to take sacrifices. So if you're traveling around the world, I'm looking at 25 weekends next year, including Formula E, Gran Turismo, British Superbikes, um, and so on. And then anything else that might happen to come my way, that's not including the the racing stuff that I want to do personally as well. So I'm going to be away an awful lot and you can't really... You know, if I had kids at home, I imagine my whole outlook on life would be completely different. So there are definitely sacrifices that you have to make. And the amount of birthdays that I've missed or parties and, you know, those sorts of things, weddings and so on, it's really, really unfortunate, but it's just a part of the job. And obviously there are some exceptions that you have to make you know if i ever got married i couldn't exactly go and miss my own wedding but i think that that's quite a way off you know sort of thing so. well you never know i i i missed uh i missed the birth of my second child because so i've been self-employed since 2012 and I, I i was doing a gig in abu dhabi that i had to go to i i was like i have to go and as i was walking out the door my wife which i didn't know at the time was having contractions. So I got in the taxi, flew out to Abu Dhabi, and the first time I met my son was via Skype, it's aging me a bit, via Skype. Um, they were in the hospital, um, just given birth, and I was lying in a hotel room in Abu Dhabi on the bed with Skype meeting my child. So you do have to make these sacrifices. You know, if, it's, if you're going it alone, doing these things um, and following your passion, it's it's not always easy to balance. Um, but that's enough of the, the, the home truths that, you know, we, it's, there's a lot of exciting things to look forward to as well. We've got season 10 coming up. We had a really cool season nine. It was an exciting end to the season. Looking ahead season 10, from a personal perspective, what are you looking forward to race-wise? Where are you looking forward to going? Uh, oh, that's a really good question, actually. You know, there are so many places that obviously I've never been before. I've never been to Mexico. I've never been to India, never been to Brazil. I've, you know, no, I've been to Tokyo a few times, but, you know, going there in a Formula E capacity is going to be great. I love Tokyo. It's one of my favorite cities in the world because it's just so different and so, I guess, abstract compared to the the world in which we live, you know, in, in Blighty. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what that's uh, going to to be like. I think Brazil is going to be mega even mexico city as well you know to start off the season over there is going to be uh, amazing saudi arabia the, the, I, I can't really sort of sit there and isolate one particular round that i'm really looking forward to but i think it's just going to be such an exciting season with so many changes that are afoot so see what happens in mexico and then i think the rest obviously will follow from that and we've got some really strong talent up and down the grid now in formula e you know the likes of Cassidy and, and others. Who should we be looking out for in season 10? Is there anyone that really stands out to you or is it just impossible to say because it is a bit of a, a guessing game sometimes in Formula E? Well, there are a lot of changes afoot in Formula E. Obviously, you've got the fast charging that's coming in for season 10 as well, which I think is going to add a different dynamic to the racing. I think that that will be, make it really interesting um, and could you know, completely change the complexion of, of how those races work out. Obviously, you've got Nick Cassidy, who's moving over to the factory Jaguar team after being with Envision. So I think that he could be a really, really exciting prospect. I know how disappointed he was at the end of last season to have missed out on the title by a hair's breadth. You know, the mistake he made in Rome and then obviously the collision he had with Seb Boemi in London as well. So I think that that will be interesting to see how he bounces back from a mental perspective. Same with Mitch Evans as well. Obviously, you know, he had a couple of uh, good races uh, towards the end of last season, but then Rome happened and it kind of snowballed from 
from there, really. And then obviously you've got the wild cards. You've got Nick DeFries coming back, but into Mahindra, what's their competitive level going to be like? You've got Lucas Degrassi moving back over to um, to Apt as well. So I think that there's going to be a lot of different variables in the mix for next year. And obviously we've had preseason testing, but preseason testing, I, I never think tells you the full story. You need to wait until free practice one gets underway in Mexico. Then you'll have an idea of where the pecking order really is. Okay, but who's going to win the championship? Oh, <laughs> don't ask that. You know, look at, looking at Dennis's form at the back end of last year, it would be really hard to bet against that. If, and, if Andretti can pull out a similar sort of package and if he can pull out the same level of consistency as he was able to do, then I think you'd be hard to get bet against him. But keep an eye out for Cassidy, Evans, throw Nick DeVries in there if Mahindra can pull a competitive package out of the bag. What about Robin Freintz going to Envision as well? There's so many different variables that are in there that it's hard to tell. But, you know, if I was a betting man, looking at Dennis's form at the end of 2022, uh, 2023 rather, I should say, it'd be hard to look against that. Yeah, we, we've got him coming up on the show actually, I think next week. Um, so... Um... I'll let him know that you think he's one of the ones to watch. Um, 20 quid uh, in the my, post for him. Lovely. Yeah. My my money's going to be on Cassidy. I've, I've been a fan of Cassidy since Japanese Formula 3 mm. when um, he, he did some amazing stuff out there, like really dominant races. And um, I've watched him ever since and seen him come up through the ranks. I think he's got a s- super talent. And um, so my money's going to be on him if, they, if that team can get their act together and they look like a strong package. So we shall see. And Formula E generally in good health. I mean, it's, it's had its ups and downs, hasn't it? Manufacturers come and go. Um, you know, public opinion around it seems to be on the up. I was in, I went to a couple of races. I was in uh, Berlin in season nine. It was absolutely rammed. Mm-hmm. The grandstands were packed. Um, amazing atmosphere over there. Um, London as well. What do you think? Is it, is it in a good spot? Absolutely. Yeah, I think Formula E really is uh, in a good place at the moment. You know, the championship racing wise is incredible the level of unpredictability that you get from a race to race basis you know the energy that we don't find out until we're racing essentially you know, that's something that the tv directors have control over when they put the graphic up seeing the remaining energy that's the first time the teams get to see how efficient each other's cars are you know and i think the the championship is in a really really good place you know next year in particular with big names coming back you know nick defries going and doing formula one obviously didn't work out for him mm. but him coming back into formula e i don't think that will do the championship any harm from a promotional uh, perspective and I, I really am looking forward to what the season is is going to hold because i think it's in a really good place and like I said earlier on, with the changes that are afoot with the fast charging, you know, the way that the world is going, there's it, there's more demand for EVs than ever. There's more interest in the from the public in it than ever as well. So yeah. it's a real relevant market for the future. So I think yeah. that that's going to be really exciting. Um, I drive an electric vehicle. I presume you do or will switch I do. to an EV? I you do. do. I've got Very a Tesla good. Model 3, actually. Um, Excellent. I'll be honest with you, mainly because it helps with the tax bill from HMRC at the end of the yep. year. But yep. I bought it and it is one of the best vehicles I've ever had. You know, Obviously, mm. it's not the same as driving a Porsche or a Ferrari or a you know whatever it might happen to be, but... I love it. You know, I can drive up and down the country. It's relaxing. It's easy to drive. The regen braking is is amazing. And it's bloody quick as well. It's fantastic yeah. for scaring people. I had yeah. a, a chap called Neil McKenzie, uh, Neil McKenzie, who's a former really superbike champion. He was in the passenger seat and we were driving back from Alton Park. 
And it's great because there's no noise. No one expects it. So you're just driving along. Oh, da, 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 da. oh yeah, how was your day? Yeah, no, no, my day was great. Bang, like that. And he's just, you know, bolted back into the seat. You know, I'm, I'm fairly sure I've got a letter from Injury Lawyers for you inside for Whiplash. <laughs> yeah, they're cracking cars. I, I'm a big fan. I mean, I never thought I'd go electric and I did. And I, I got an, um, an Audi e-tron. And, you know, that's a two and a half ton car. It's a big SUV. Mm-hmm. And that's quick as well. I mean, it's nowhere near your your Tesla sort of speed, but it's still, you know, five and a half seconds, not 60, which in a big car like that is sharp. It really um, is. And, and, you know, I, I love I love my Tesla. It's it's great. You know, it's a really, really nice car to, to drive. And obviously a lot of people have a downer on it because it's never going to be as convenient as a, an internal combustion engine vehicle at the moment. Obviously technology is evolving. I always look at it like it's a DVD at the moment, you know, wait for the Blu-ray to come out and what the next step in technology is going to be. It's just the fact that the the technology just isn't kind of there yet, but it is getting there. And I drove my car to and from Amsterdam earlier this year um, for a day because I went to pick up my new crash helmet because of Brexit. It was cheaper for me to drive there than it was for me to get it shipped over because of import fees. Um, And it was absolutely fine. You know, driving an EV, obviously you have to plug it in. And I get that that's an inconvenience if you just want to get home. However, if you've got the time to, you know, plug it in for 25 minutes, go and have a coffee or whatever, it's absolutely fine. But I completely understand the argument on the other side that, oh, you know, I can just go and fill up my diesel car or my petrol car three minutes and then I'm on the road for X amount of time. But, you know, from where I am at and what I use it for, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no issues with it and um, I love it. I don't think I'll ever, I'll ever change. I think the only time I might get a, 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 an internal combustion engine again is if I run into a bit of cash and I want to buy a cool old sports car, but that would yeah. be it. You know, I've got, I've got no intention of changing it for the, for the sort of daily driver. What's, what's the future hold then, Tom? What's, what's going to happen? Is there a plan? Do you have a long-term plan or are you just sort of taking each day as it comes? No, I'm winging it. I think everybody's winging it in love life, it. aren't they? No one's got a clue what they're doing. I think we're all just kind of making it up as we go along, really. Um, you know, I don't really have a plan, to be honest with you, because I don't think you can plan too far ahead. You know, it'd be lovely for me to say in five years time, I'd love to be commentating on X or Y or whatever, but it doesn't work out like that. And life is a funny thing and it can throw curveballs at you when you least expect it. So I'm very much a live in the moment, enjoy what you're doing now and see what happens in the future. You know, if Formula One came knocking, that would be amazing. If that doesn't happen, do you know what? It's not the end of the world. I've I've been very fortunate to have a very fun and hopefully successful career and you know i hope to be able to have that for many years to come but it's not something that i sort of get too hung up on i want to enjoy what i'm doing for now focus on the future when that arrives very good now uh it's time for our final three we Mm. ask all of our guests exactly the same final three questions and it always throws up something different first one for you and it could be most sport related or personal life or anything you want what's got you excited at the moment Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, what has got me excited at the moment? So my father and I, we work on a few different projects together because he's a mechanic and he works for me a couple of days a week now uh, and so on. So we've just finished uh, restoring a BMW E31 840Ci, you know, the coupe from the 90s with yeah, the pop-up yeah. headlights. Um, I bought it on a whim. I wasn't planning to buy it. I'll tell you what the problem was. It was that Tesla. I was there charging it in Surrey at a meeting go. in London and I saw this Tesla, uh, so this BMW come up and I thought, ooh, that looks interesting. I went and bought it that night, didn't I? I just couldn't help myself. So that's that. That is the problem with charging: is it can cost you a lot of money. Um, so we've just finished that. I'm really looking forward to you know driving that and and having some fun. So I think that's one thing. Obviously, Formula E has got to be the biggest thing. You know, yeah. getting going for 2024. I can't wait. And it's a weird one for me because traditionally my winter, as I've worked for Gran Turismo for the last five years, has been quite long. You know, you finish the last event in November, December time, and then 
it's sort of March time before you get going. The season for Formula E kicks off the second weekend of January. So, you know, I've not really got much downtime, but I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to spending Christmas with my family and my loved ones and, you know, getting going for 2024 and, uh, and, and seeing what that's all about. And I'm just looking forward next year to enjoying my life, to having fun, to doing what I consider to be the best job in the world. Uh, I'm so fortunate and so lucky to be able to do what I do. And I cannot wait to be able to to live that passion and to go racing and to make more memories because I always think that whatever I've got now, I can't take it with me when my time comes, whenever that might happen to be. I want to enjoy what I can do. So, you know, going racing, buying cars, doing projects, you know, and just enjoying myself. So more of that for 2024. Love it. Good stuff. Now, our second question, I'm actually going to bypass because we we always have, we have a final three and the second question is all about, you know, percentages of, of success versus right place, mm-hmm. right time, luck, and so on. And actually, we it tends to throw up a similar sort of answer. You know, there's a, there's a little bit of luck, but I've worked very hard. Da, da, da. So mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bin it. So no, that that's question, fine. Yeah, yeah, no worries. That question is no longer part of the final three. <laughs> the it's final now two, final then. two. It's the final two. So final question for you. What are you scared of? Oh, that's a good question. What am I scared of? Um, failure, probably. Mm-hmm. I've, I think everyone's scared of failure to a degree, aren't they? Because you put pressure on yourself and you want to be able to do yeah. the the best job you can. Um, I'm quite scared of heights, actually. Are you? Of all things, yeah. But only when I'm up a ladder or you know something like that. If I'm in a plane, I'm absolutely fine. You know, I actually want to go and start learning to fly next year if I can because I think that, cool. that, would, that would just be amazing fun. And it's one of those real technical things that you you know you have to be really precise with it and i'd love to to be able to do that but um yeah scared of heights a bit scared of failure um and i can't really think of anything else to be honest with you i'm sorry that's probably a bit of a pathetic answer but uh i think that those are the two that come to mind but i'm gonna probe you a little bit go on scared of scared of failure yeah what what is it why are you scared of failure what is it about that that freaks you out i think I've always set high expectations for myself. You know, I've always wanted to be able to do the best I can. And I think when it comes down to, when it comes down to it, I I just get scared of, I'm trying to think about where I'm going with this. I, I just get scared of, it's a bit like an amateur therapy session, isn't it really? It is, isn't it? Yeah, it comes to think, oh, what is it? Couch. Yeah, exactly. What is it that scares you about mm. it? Um, I just want to be able to do as good a job as I can. And I think that, I put a lot of pressure on myself in order to be able to do that. So I think it's it's probably the fear of the fear, if that makes sense, rather than the actual, you know, fear of, of, of failure itself. I, I I just want to be able to do a good job. That's all I've ever wanted to be able to do. It's funny, isn't it? Like this goes back to the very first question that I asked you around what's, what makes you up, what's shaped you as an individual. Mm. I always find it interesting when people, because we've had one or two people that have said failure before, a couple of races, I think Brendan Hartley said it. Mm-hmm. Like, ages ago and we had him on and it's like okay i fear failure okay i get that but why like what what is it that's worrying you about failure like does it like if it's a crap job who cares like mm. what is it like the uh perception of others or is it you know letting down parents or you know it's interesting when you start to dive deeper into that point yeah i think what it's, it I is think about it's letting failure. myself down you know to be honest with you i just i want to be able to do a good job and i know that i can do a good job because you don't you get to places in life because you're good at what you do, I feel, right? And I want to be able to perform to the best of my ability. So if I don't do that for whatever reason, if I've let myself down, I think that that's kind of where that comes from, really. Yeah. You know, there was a case in point, I was racing the other week at Knock Hill 
And I was going, I was basically, my car was really quick on the gravel. I do rally cross. So, you know, it's part tarmac, part gravel. And I was really quick on the gravel and I got a great run on this car. And I went for a move on the inside and I locked the brakes up and I careered into the side of the bloke and I biffed him out of the race basically. And he was spewing afterwards, went to the stewards and all sorts. And I was so annoyed with myself for about half an hour. I just thought, oh, you've just, but not because, you know, I knew I'd made a mistake, but I'd let myself down. I knew I could have done better than that. I knew if I'd just thought for half a second longer, I, I wouldn't have made that mistake, but I made a rash decision and I let myself down with that. So I then learned and then didn't do it in the next race. Yeah, no, very good. Well, thank you for, for all that and, and the honesty. And um, it's been a pleasure having you on. I hope everyone that's listening has enjoyed today's chat with Tom. Um, we'll be continuing with the Formula E theme soon. We'll be having, um, as I mentioned, reigning champion Jake Dennis on the show. Um, loads to cover with him, including his championship winning season, his upcoming F1 outing with Red Bull in Abu Dhabi for the rookie test, the Asmarina circuit. Can't wait for that one. But for now, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. It's really, really, really cool to hear someone still so young with so much passion for what they're doing and so much ahead of you it's a rare trait like you mentioned harry a couple of times in this show harry benjamin who's um you know doing some commentary on bbc5 live for the formula one and he's really making a name for himself and he has a similar sort of outlook i think he's probably a maybe a tiny bit younger than you but not by much no he is uh, younger sort of, oh, but like yeah like, yeah only by a couple of months or something like that yeah but a tiny bit younger but he's got that similar kind of single-minded um driven approach and maturity that you certainly don't see in most 25 26 year olds and i know when i was 25 26 i was probably um putting something in my um down my neck that i shouldn't have that made me see things that weren't there and various other <laughs> stupid things so I, I applaud your um your attitude and your your passion for it and i'm sure you've got a hugely hugely bright future ahead of you and good luck for 2024 and season 10 with Formula E. I'm sure we'll see you at a couple of races. But for now, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Tim, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MNTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too. So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.